Welcome to Being Brown. I'm Hina. And this week we have our wonderful guest, Jyoti, who is returning to the Being Brown podcast because we just didn't have enough time to get all of the things that we wanted to say first time round. So Jyoti, please say hi, introduce yourself again for anyone who's listening for the first time. I'll let you introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name's Jyoti. Thank you so much, Hina, for having me back. It's so lovely to be here again. Um, So I am a yoga teacher, meditation teacher, holistic wellness guide, um, the founder of my wellness company, and I'm really passionate about teaching yoga in a way that empowers people to take yoga off the mat, teach it in its entirety, honour its roots, um, and just really teach it in a very holistic way that allows you to fully bring the benefits into every aspect of your life. So it's not just during that one hour of your physical practice. Wonderful. Thanks, Jyoti, for that um, introduction to who you are and, you know, your core values. That's really important um, for us here at Being Brown, because we want to have these conversations on how we can kind of incorporate these ancient philosophies into day-to-day life. Um, So last time we spoke, we talked very heavily around um, the way yoga has influenced not only you, how it's influenced myself. Garan was here and he pitched in on on the the positives of of yoga on his life. We also spoke about the eight limbs of yoga. We talked about how, you know, through journaling and through meditation and, you know, acts of ahimsa, the the nonviolence, the positive thoughts to yourself, um, how all of those pieces can help you in terms of adding that value to yoga and it not just being the asanas, you know, not just being the, the, the movements, but all round. Um, and you were so gracious and kind to give us some tips on, you know, for, for the newcomers, uh, to yoga and how you can embrace it wholeheartedly. So Jyoti, last time we, we had the recording, we, after we finished recording, you and I just, we started talking about the kind of some of our experience of growing up and we found out that we're, we're neighbors. Um, I grew up in uh, the multicultural city of Leicester and you are right next door in the city of Nottingham, which is just as multicultural um, and diverse. So we would, you know, we would just kind of, um, talking about those those experience and you told me that Leicester was the hub where you came and kind of came to Leicester to do shopping or that that real central South Asian hub that it is um, and I thought it'd be nice if we kind of pick up on that let's let's talk about that a little bit more um, in terms of what it was like growing up um, as a first or second generation South Asian depending on how you define yourself in Nottingham very much you know, in the 90s, kind of 2000s and into the 20, 2010s, what that was like, what was it like growing up brown, essentially? And we, you know, we we were talking about it a little bit. So Jyoti, what was life like as as a brown kid in Nottingham <laughs> for you? Yeah, so I grew up um, kind of in Nottinghamshire, so it wasn't in the centre. Um, mm-hmm. So I grew up, I'd say, like in a very white area. Mm-hmm. And at primary school, uh, my sister and I were the only kids of color of any color in the in the school. Um, so I guess I kind of grew up and very much rejected being Indian. I didn't want to be brown. I wanted to be like everyone else. I wanted to be able to 
do the things that my friends did you know mm. I didn't want to eat Indian food <laughs> I want my parents person this isn't necessarily an Indian thing but like my parents wouldn't let me sleep over at anyone's house but everyone else was so I just mm-hmm. you know there were certain things that I just wasn't able to do that my friends were doing and then even going to secondary school there were more people of color but still very much um you know much many more white people and it wasn't really till I think year nine or year 10 that I became friends with another Indian girl and it was then that I I guess I started exploring what it meant a bit more like we kind of all started gravitating towards each other as I feel like sometimes does happen Mm. so that there was a couple of Indian girls a black girl and we just we were friends with everyone else but I just felt like a different connection with them. There were, I guess there were certain things that you just don't have to explain, like not yeah. eating meat on a Tuesday or yeah. why you're not eating meat for two weeks or a week and a bit because it's, it's not yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And all of these things that people just didn't get. Um, yeah. And I felt embarrassed to explain. Experience. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And also, you know, I mean, I wrote a whole blog post about this, but my name, so, mm-hmm. you know, being called Jyoti I would say oh my name's Jyoti so that you know it was easier for people to say yeah and for a long time that that's what I did really till up until about a month ago and I thought you know what I need to start saying it properly one Mm. of my friends um one of my white friends heard me speak on another podcast and she actually went away and learned how to say my name properly because mm. I'd I'd referred to myself you know if I'm referring to myself I'm going to say Jotti yeah and she, yeah and hearing her say it properly I thought well actually if I don't give people a chance to say it properly then how will they ever learn to say it yeah so then I now will tell people how to say my name Mm. and will try my best not to feel uncomfortable as you know they struggle a bit we Mm. go back and forth till eventually they get it right and I will go out of my way to do that now um and you know with with time it's becoming much more comfortable at first it did feel awkward and you know I think it's that kind of good immigrant mindset you don't want to be a burden you don't want to be a problem so you you just make yourself fit in and mold in any way that you possibly can um See, I think for me, really, it wasn't till I went to uni. Mm. I think we touched upon this last time and I kind of joined Hindu society Mm -hmm. and made a lot more Indian friends that I really started to embrace my culture, started to realise I do like eating Indian food. Why am I pretending I don't like it? (laughs) 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 Yeah, and like really embracing it and not feel embarrassed Mm. or ashamed about it. and, And then kind of embracing it in a way that, that was empowering for me. And then, you know, obviously going down this path of yoga and learning more about the spiritual side of of Hinduism Mm -hmm. and of Vedanta and all of that has just been absolutely Mm mind-blowing. And seeing so many other people kind of interested in it of all colours. And I guess just realising, fully realising that it is the basis of all religions. Like all religions have that spiritual, the more mystical, so to speak, Mm -hmm. aspect. Yeah. They've just very much been lost in the patriarchal capitalistic culture that we live in. They've, you know, every single religion does have that. They've just been molded to the to the lens of, you know, patriarchy and all of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how you you said, you know, growing up in Nottinghamshire, it was fairly kind of, um, 
you know, you, you, you and your sister were the, the ones that were the few people of color. Um, uh, yeah. And the, the things that you went through as a result of that. And, you know, I would say on the polar opposite, I grew up in Leicester, um, in Belgrave, essentially, you know, in the, and if you know Leicester, if you know Belgrave Road, I was, you know, I lived off a street that was parallel to Belgrave Road called Catherine Street. Um, and it was very, very South Asian. In fact, it was even more, I would say, um, not just South Asian, it was Gujarati Indians, you know, that, that, that is very much the area for Gujarati Indians. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny because even though I went to a school where I wasn't the only person of color, actually we were the majority, we still, I still remember going through the things that you went through, whitewashing my name. I'm, I'm Hina, you know, not Hina, I'm Hina. Um, and my friends and I rejecting our culture, mm-hmm. you know, almost making fun of, even though we knew that we all kind of, we all understood it, but we all also kind of made fun of each other. If somebody came to school smelling like um, Tarka or Vagara, as it's called in Gujarati, you know, you know, the when your, your, your parent is making the curry and it, it smells of all the spices and it sticks in basically everything in the 12 mile radius of your home um and you come to school and your coat smells like uh indian food and you're like oh you smell like uh, you smell like indian food um but we all knew um what that felt like but almost rejected it as well we didn't want to be indian and i find that mind blowing that even for uh, um a someone like me who who grew up around indian people we still rejected it up until you know um even going into into secondary school, um, oh. which is high school, uh, we it was the same. You know, really whitewashing our names, making sure we didn't smell like putting you know impulse on, really spraying ourselves with impulse to make sure we don't smell like um, agarbati or incense, or making sure we didn't smell like food, um, and kind of erasing as much of of that Indian identity when we leave the house, mm. um, so that we could be. I don't know, this this non-Indian version of ourselves, which made no sense because we all gravitated to each other because we were all the same. We could all speak a second language. Mostly people were speaking Gujarati uh, or Punjabi or Urdu, and we, we could all kind of speak to one another. And that was the norm. You know, in my class, I think we had something like three or four Patels in the class. That was just like the norm. In the year <laughs> when we used to have exams, it was like all the Patels would take up a row and it was just so... It was so normal to have a school full of Indian people. And we, you know, Diwali came around. Everyone knew what was happening. Eid came Mm. around. Everyone knew what was happening. It was this shared experience that we were all having. But it was almost very much a dual identity for me growing up. Where at school, even though you knew uh, you were going to go home and, you know, celebrate Navratri or celebrate, or if you're fasting for Ramadan, um, but at school, you kind of still try to erase that side of you. And it I don't know why we did it. I think it was it was that over overarching uh, media mm. and the, you know, the standards that were put on us where it, it was it was cool to be white and not cool to be Indian um, unless it was like a cool Indian thing. So, again, most people in in the Midlands know about. Uh, on Diwali Day, Melton Road or Belgrave Road closes down to host the Diwali, now a COVID nightmare. But, you know, back in the day, it was 
amazing because everyone, you know, gathered. And that was one of the few times I remember it was cool to be Indian because you got to celebrate Diwali. You went to Melton Road with your family, but you'd be super embarrassed of your family because, you know, they're they're your family and you'd want to go with your friends. Um, and it, that was cool. It was cool to be Indian in those few occasions. And for anyone who wasn't Indian, it was like you're inviting them into this bubble of a community mm. and I remember some some of my non-Indian friends would want to come to Navratri and like want to wear the sari and want to dress up and come to the Diwali celebrations um, because it was the it was the norm in Leicester um, and for my cousins who grew up in London uh, they it was it was like a you know mini India for them coming to Leicester because it was so it's so 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 um I use the white term ethnic, you know, <laughs> and for them it was like that because they grew up in a very white um, kind of area and to come to, to Leicester was like that, you know, reconnecting with the the mother, uh, mother India to some extent. So it's funny how you went mm. through that and, and to some extent, you know, growing up for me, we, me and my friends all went through that as well, but even though we had each other. And then I think as you go, as I went to uni, I again gravitated towards Indian people. I went to quite a um, kind of uh, a multicultural university, mm. um, but I didn't join those associations because I was trying to find myself, and I didn't want to be branded Indian again. Like that wasn't the only thing about me. I wanted to find the other things about me first, because when I described myself, Indian came a little further down. At first, you know, first I'm a woman, then I, before I am Indian. If if I think about my identity. So um, it's really interesting how we both went on similar journeys growing up in such different environments, essentially. But, you know, we, we, we were talking about it last time and how we've, we've kind of taken our culture back, but also now it's become cool to be Indian. And, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that, Jyoti? You know, this we spoke about the things around cultural appropriation and how it's not okay to appropriate parts of the culture that are convenient for you, but then also reject the pieces that are not convenient for you. So we spoke about the really simple thing around a turmeric latte or a golden latte. And, you know, we know that as, I, I know as Haridhar Varudud, you grew up with it. Was it Haldidud that you called it growing up? Hal, yeah. 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 Exactly. So what, you know, <laughs> share your thoughts. What are you thinking about um, that side of things? Yeah, I think... Um, just based on both of our experiences it's almost like a rite of passage um, I think mm -hmm. like everyone sort of goes through that in their own way and then yeah some people will come back to the culture some people won't you know it depends on your path and there's no like right or wrong I guess um, yeah but yeah I think well cultural appropriation is just a huge topic you know I think it starts well I think one of the main things I remember is when bindis became in fashion oh, and I yeah, remember seeing it and thinking early 2000s and it was Gwen Stefani yeah. do you remember Gwen Stefani was wearing oh, bindis yeah. when she was part of No Doubt and actually I listened to a song recently and the video came up and I was like oh my god she's wearing she's wearing a bindi get that off that's not yours get yeah. it off <laughs> yes but exactly, yeah continue yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like almost associated with Coachella and festivals mm. and it's like but but no, because, you know, it's actually a very sacred thing. Like mm -hmm. it's put on a specific part, you know, in between our eyebrows, which is the third eye chakra, yep. which is, you know, the seat of um, knowledge, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so it's all of these things, exactly what you said, where people 
they take the bits that they like that usually the bits that are very aesthetic mm. and very um pleasing to the eye you know instagrammable like think about the culture that we live in it's very materialistic very outward facing so they take those bits and then those are the bits that they um you know accentuate and really push and but they don't the problem is that they don't acknowledge the roots mm. or where it's come from or yeah like the the benefits I suppose of it or the reasons behind them you know everything that happened in the ancient times in India and much of the east was for a reason mm. you know Hinduism is a very scientific um religion mm. well it was it was never a religion it was a way of life but it's very scientific everything is based on on a reason we don't just do things for no reason the reasons may not have been translated to us because our parents didn't ask mm-hmm. but we do but there is a reason for you know everything we do mm-hmm. and you know the same things happen with yoga so which bits have been really perpetuated in the west mm-hmm. is the asan is that physical posture because yeah if you're going to do a handstand and wear a bikini and put it on instagram you're going to get loads of likes and you're mm-hmm. going to look great yeah but that's not the point you know it's actually quite disrespectful yeah. to, be, to be doing it dressed in that way because, mm. you know, it was never done like that. And that's just not not what happens in India. Mm. Um, and I think there's a huge problem there because you've got the yoga teachers who perhaps know about the philosophy but aren't teaching it to their students mm. because they're worried about how it will be received and they don't want to put in the chanting and the... That anything like Indianness, I yeah. say in inverted commas, or like the spiritual side, that they're, they're scared to put it in there. Um, Sorry to interrupt, but it's that it's that yeah. fear of being too, and I'm going to say it with inverted commas too, that too ethnic. You know, it becomes inaccessible to some people if it's too ethnic, and almost, and therefore that's why it's been whitewashed so much to make it, mm. make it cool again, make it cool like. Yeah, it's it's okay to do yoga because it's 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 not religious. It's not, um, you know, you forget almost strip the 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 background of it, the history of it, and it's just become another exercise form. But sorry, yes, continue. Yeah, exactly. And you know, a lot of people don't even know it came from India. Like I know when I was doing my yoga teacher or was going to do my yoga teacher training, I went to a, a yoga class and. I was telling another lady there who, and I was saying, you know, I'm going to India because that's that's the birthplace. Mm -hmm. And she was like, Oh, really? And I just thought, how do people not know? Like, to me, that seems so strange. But obviously, we grew up knowing that, you know, it comes from our culture. And actually, earlier, one of my friends sent me uh, just like an Instagram video of someone on like a game show. Mm -hmm. And the question was something like, which is an ancient practice, Pilates or yoga, and they chose Pilates. And I just thought, what? Like, people are so unaware. Um, And I think perhaps as Indians, we don't shout about things enough. Mm. We're quite quiet. Again, very much that good immigrant mindset. Let's not draw attention to ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then you have the the the, these huge yoga companies, or you know, Lululemon, um, Sweaty Betty, all of these, Mm. who profit off of off of yoga. Yet, do they give anything back to the culture where it comes from? Do they? acknowledge where it comes from you know are there a lot of them have ambassadors there's not an Indian person in sight I mean there is there's a few more now Mm -hmm. because especially with the events of last summer Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I just think that there's a huge disconnect and it's just not okay, really. Yeah, like, yeah let's talk about that. You know, When we think, and you know what, until, again, until last year, I think the Black Lives Matter movement, and we, I think we briefly touched on it last time, was a catalyst for so many people of colour because we realised, oh my goodness, we really have been, the colonisation didn't stop when, you know, the West left our countries of, of, of heritage, it's continued. And I, I completely agree that, you know, when um, last summer happened and I thought, oh yeah, yoga is a brown people thing. Like that, that, my mom used to talk about it when I was growing up. And actually when I think yoga, I think white woman with a yoga mat in hand wearing Lululemon. How did that happen? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you know you're completely right. It's that it's the the big brands like Lululemon, and we've got our own issues with Lululemon, which you spoke about um, last time. Yeah. Um, for those of you who are listening and and don't know, um, I would recommend looking into the name Lululemon and why it even came about. Um, but you know, other big brands like you said that don't give back, um, and they're profiting off it, and they're and they're not being responsible with that connect and they're not mm. using that platform in a in a responsible manner to say yes we're we're going to provide you with yoga mats and yoga wear and um however this is this is where yoga comes from and and providing that history um and that responsibility unfortunately hasn't in my opinion we we haven't put that onus on those companies up until now mm. you know we we let them get away with it and now this is what exists. This is the, the the consequence of that is, you know, especially again, I, you know, I live in North America now, I'm living in Canada. And when you think yoga, you honestly do think Lululemon, you think, you know, yoga studios with full of people who, who are white and not actually people of color. And I'm not saying that it should be that, it, you know, I'm, I think it should be a diverse thing that everybody can access, but the, the origins, like you said, are lost. And they're not spoken about enough. Mm. And you're right. I think since last year, it definitely has become more and more of a thing where people of color are taking back those pieces, you know, trying to decolonize, trying to take take them back and, and be proud that they, they were ours to begin with. And to say to people who are accessing them, be responsible with what you're using and, you know, make sure you know your... Um, know your history essentially know where this has come from and why it's so sacred to to those people who who it came from Mm. and I think another important point which I actually didn't even realize till recently is when the British invaded India they they made yoga and Ayurveda illegal like you couldn't practice it Mm. so you know it it was for hundreds of years they weren't even allowed to to do it and now they're profiting off it which is wild um, that is absolutely it's... insane I did not know that yeah. and it's so funny mm. isn't it because um well it's not funny at all but um since uh over this past couple of months um I've been looking more into the indigenous community in in Canada you know I'm a settler on their land I've been learning more and more about the the heritage of of um this land and you know as I've been learning and and Instagram is is definitely a great place to learn um because there are more and more indigenous um people speaking about 
their history. And the same thing happened here. You know, indigenous people were not allowed to practice um, powwows and dance and throat singing and all these things. And when I read it, I was like horrified thinking, my goodness, why would they take their cultural tradition away from them? But no, now, now I see it wasn't isolated. It was practiced throughout, you know, all of their, the, yeah. the countries that they, they colonized. So I guess it was a way to mm. erase us and make their culture the exactly. norm. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, the whole point of yoga and is to reach that stage of, you know, enlightenment, moksha, whatever you want to call it. Mm. And, you know, if you get to that state, then, then you're liberated. Mm. You are, you are free. So nothing that anyone's going to do or say like will affect you in the way that it would affect us, mm. for example, who are, who have not reached that state. And it's not that that's what, you know, your aim has to be today doing um, yoga, but obviously if people are that free, then they can't control them. Mm. So they did, that's what they did. Even in England, you mm. know, the pagan culture, they erased all of it, like witches that were burned at the stake, yeah. so to speak, they would have just been free women mm -hmm. who were really connected to the earth, the healers, the, you know, these intuitive women who had these almost magical powers mm -hmm. um, and they were scared of them. So, you know, the patriarchy came in <laughs> and with you. did a great yeah. job if we think about it. Because, um, yeah. you know, now when you think of a witch, what do you think of a yeah, woman evil. with a, an old woman? Yeah, mm. exactly. Whereas that isn't what it was meant to be. So, you know, it's impacted everyone everywhere, really. Mm. Um, so just think it's so important that, that people are more aware of it and then we can appreciate it, not appropriate it. Mm -hmm. And what would you say are some of the, the common things that you see around appropriation um, just in general life? And it doesn't have to be specific to the Asian culture. It could, it could be just generally. What, what do you see that knocks you? Like, what are you, what, what, what winds you up and that you wish that there was more um, knowledge around? One thing that really bothers me is when um, these coffee shops have chai tea, oh. when chai means tea. Yep. So you're basically having tea tea, yep. which drives me insane. Yep. <laughs> um, and then I guess like on the back of that is is the use of spices mm -hmm. from, you know, India and other places mm -hmm. that we've we've known about for years but suddenly the west are aware of turmeric or suddenly they're aware of coconut oil as though it's never existed before yeah, it's a super before five years ago yeah. um and then i think like so with turmeric for example with haldi that they make it into tablets they put it into everything it's now happening like with cbd mm. um as though like that's the best way to take it but actually the way that we cook our spices you know you put you put oil in a pan mm. and then you cook the spices. Mm -hmm. So then all of the goodness comes out into the oil. And then you put, you know, you put all the vegetables or the dal or whatever yeah. you're putting in. I'm no expert, but this is what <laughs> I've watched my mom do. But there's a reason that we do that. Yeah. That's how you that get the main benefit. Yeah. Mm, not from taking a turmeric tablet, mm -hmm. but again, like people, people buy it. And there's probably Indian people that buy it as well, or people of color, because you know, perhaps that we don't know either how, mm. how's best to do it. I think because of growing up here, we very much believe that the Western way of thinking is the right way of thinking. Mm. I know 
you know, so my mum was born in India, came to England when she got married, when, you know, she was only 19. So she's lived here for far longer now, mm-hmm. but very much growing up, I did used to dismiss some of the stuff mm-hmm. that she said, because I thought, oh, no, this is terrible. Like, what does she know? Yeah. Which is an awful way of thinking about like my own mum. Now, like, I'm like, mum, teach me everything. Yeah. And you know, we've just finished an Ayurvedic cleanse together and all of this stuff. But, you know, it's, I guess if you don't want to learn or you don't want to listen, then then you won't, will you? But yeah, I just think education around this stuff um, is so important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, again, I went through exactly the same experience. My my mom came to uh, England um, in the 70s. Mum's family came from East Africa um, when, I don't know if you're aware, the Ugandans were expelled, South Asian, uh, not South Asian, yes, South Asian, South Asians were expelled from um, Uganda in the 70s. So uh, along with, I'm going to say, majority of um, uh, the the people that came from there moved to the Midlands. Um, So, but still carried that, you know, very Indian um, ideology with them, you know, working with the knowledge that my grandparents brought from India. But also there was a mix of not just Indian uh, Gujarati knowledge, but also because the community there was so diverse, because as we know, we like to uh, gravitate the, to the people that look like us, the people that have that shared experience. Mom grew up with, well, my mom grew up with um, people who were from like Pakistan and like Muslims and, um, you know, people mm. of all all faiths and even, you know, trying to uh, assimilate with the, the local people, you know, uh, the people, the Ugandans um and so when mom came to when you know my mom's family came over to England a lot of the knowledge she brought with her was very much like um a, a bit of a mix um a mix of of not just one knowledge she came with quite a few things mm. and again I growing up completely dismissed my mom when she would say um have heard the you know I used to think it was disgusting <laughs> growing up actually um but yeah, it, it, and now I think there's there's some truth in what she was saying. It, obviously, you know, it's, yeah. it's passed from generation mm. to generation. And just because Western science, Western medicine didn't give it the, the tick that, that it's doing now, um, it doesn't mean it wasn't true. So, yeah, I, I think so many of our listeners um, will be able to relate to that dismissal of their parents because we were more drawn to the, the Western science you know the western mm. culture um and schools you know schools tell you to to follow what the doctors say and and the medicine and all of that so yeah it, it yeah. really does it's it's a journey i think a lot of people go through you know you kind of do that through yeah. 16, definitely um yeah mm. and with you i think yeah go oh, ahead sorry go ahead just to say i think it's so important as well that to note that kind of like ayurveda and like a like Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure many others that I don't even know the name of. Like that, all of the basis is very much the same. Mm. Um, so they kind of look at the root of the problem, mm-hmm. whereas I think w- what Western medicine does is is treat the symptoms. Yeah. They don't necessarily get to the root mm-hmm. of the problem. So we just, again, we just mask it with more and more medicine Mm -hmm. and more and more drugs and what have you, which, you know, of course, Western medicine has its place. But equally, you know, if you can treat the cause Mm -hmm. of an issue, then you don't need to keep giving more and more medicine for all the side effects of the other medicines Mm -hmm. that you're having. And I think, you know, what traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda do so well is they 
look at the body as the physical body but then also like the energy body Mm -hmm. which is effectively quantum physics Mm -hmm. which was you know written in the Vedas since day like since 5,000 years Mm -hmm. ago which is just wild which you know they recognize that Mm -hmm. and there is you know so much knowledge and wisdom in that which modern medicine hasn't actually caught up with yet yeah um you know I was just reading this book about um the ancient practices um of the menstrual cycle in India and the reasons behind doing the different practices Mm. that are often seen as demeaning to women but again there was reasons behind each of them um and yeah it's just so fascinating like the more you know the more you know it is it's it's amazing isn't it that it takes us I mean I'm not trying to belittle the education system in any country but it really does what you learn in school is so it's from one lens and it it mm. it needs developing so much uh and I yeah. I feel like I've done most of my learning in my late 20s and you know and, and now coming into my 30s um it if the knowledge is out there you just have to look um and there are mm. people at hand to provide that knowledge so you know for anyone who's out there on that journey keep going there's there's lots of people in that community that are with you um I for one am for sure um and just kind of circling back to what you said Ajati around um you know Chinese medicine and Ayurveda I was reading recently about um type I think it was a Thai massage you know an authentic Thai massage and how it actually mimics not mimics is probably it came first for sure but very similar to um kind of sports therapy that chiropractor you know um making sure your your bones and your muscles are aligned and um it's all based on on science it just wasn't called science it's called Thai massage and I was reading I was watching this video about how actually it's very very based on science we just again discounted that and before you know it, it's called chiropractor and it's called you know massage therapy and it becomes the the right way to to fix something mm-hmm. with an ailment um but you talked a little bit about the menstrual menstrual cycle and i think you know that talking about that a little bit more would um would be great because from the research that i've done um around the menstrual cycle and you know the practices that are present in in the South Asian culture, and I, I'm sure in other cultures um, around the world, um, you know, the one that I know of is when you're um, when you're menstruating, you don't you don't necessarily go and do a diva. You uh, in some households, you don't go into the kitchen. You're not you know you you have to go and sit in a room and rest, um, and that can be perceived as you know very patriarchal, very oppressive to women menstruating is natural it's you know uh, if we don't menstruate then how can we continue life and you know I can see the perspective where it can be seen as shunning a woman essentially is how it's perceived um, in the west and and amongst many of the South Asian communities um, but I've as I've been learning and reading more about it and and drawing back to what you said about the energy what I've what I've learned and I'm sure you've got some knowledge on this as well so please help me out if I'm completely off on the wrong track um, was that when women are menstruating the energy is going downward and actually when we pray and when we cook we want to bring the energy upwards and therefore there's that conflict in the two energies um, 
And so that's what, like, a, I'm going to say 1% of the knowledge that I have around some of the practices. So let's talk a little bit more about this Shakti that women have this, you know, around the the female body and just general um we talk about this quite openly in Hinduism. You know, right now we're recording, it's, it's, it's Navratri. Um, and um, I think there's there's lots to be said about the, the the acknowledgement of female empowerment in in many of the South Asian cultures, not necessarily tied to religion, um, that is, misconce- is misconceived. So what, like, what are you thinking? What are the things that you, you've seen or learned about? Yeah, I think... Firstly, like it's important to note that within kind of Hinduism, Sanatana Dharma, we there are goddesses, and there's not in many religions or spiritual, well, religions, let's say, not necessarily in spirituality. But so that's huge. I think we don't kind of emphasize that enough, you know, with every kind of male perception of a, of a god, mm-hmm. so to speak. There is a there's a female. Mm-hmm. And often we say the female's name first, you know, women are, are given a lot of, um, are treated very equally within the scriptures. Again, it's just not translated that way Mm -hmm. necessarily in today's day and age. Um, And I mean, so within like Hatha Yoga, it said that everyone has a feminine and masculine energy within them. Mm. Like regardless of your gender, we each have feminine and masculine energies. Mm. So the right side is the masculine side. So that's her and that is represented by the sun. And then we have the left side, which is the feminine side. So the the ta in hatha Mm -hmm. is um, the feminine side represented by the moon. So we have kind of that solar and that lunar energy. Mm. And the purpose of yoga is to really balance these energies so if we think about the world that we live in, it's a very masculine world. You know, the masculine is very results driven, mm. like let's hustle, let's be productive all the time, you know, whereas the feminine energy is much more receptive and soft and intuitive. And, you know, and it's not that one is better than the other. We need a balance mm. of both. It's not that we should suddenly have only feminine energy. We need, we really do need both. Um and I, you know, like I said, we've very much gone to the to the masculine in in the day day and age that we're living in. And that that's that's obviously driven by capitalism and mm. you know consumerism. And yeah. so that that balance, even though women, you know, do hustle, women do work hard. Not to say that we don't, um, but that balance, like you said, is important to to be well rounded. I guess in the in in your mind, in terms of like. What does that balance achieve, do you think? Yeah, so I mean, for me, like being balanced is is exactly that. Like if I feel balanced in my mind, so mm. I am kind of in that state of equanimity as, as much as I can be, mm. then I just feel like things flow, like things happen with much more ease. I am working with life rather than against it. And, you know, that's okay. why I left my job because I very much felt like, life was just against me all the time and I was sort of becoming into this victim mindset and I just thought this is not healthy um Mm. whereas actually you know you want well who would want a life would you prefer like a life full of ease or like hardship of course Mm. we'd want ease but so often Mm. we get in our own way because we're Mm. so used to um from around us we see a lot of drama a lot of um 
a lot of, you know, sorrow and heartache and stuff. So we think that's how our life should be. So even when our life might be filled with ease, we almost self-sabotage to cause a bit of, you know, drama. We kind of get attached to our suffering, if we're being really Mm. honest. Um, Because, you know, it it gives us an identity and we are all attached to our many identities. Um, Mm. But like within, I guess, society, so women... I think I touched upon this last time, women work with the moon cycle. So our hormones are, you know, constantly fluctuating depending on where we are in our menstrual cycle, whereas men work much more with the sun. So as the sun rises, their energy peaks and then it, you know, it reduces. Mm -hmm. So not to say that their moods aren't going to change day to day, but generally their energy levels will be relatively consistent compared to women. Mm -hmm. So when we're bleeding, like, and we're on our periods, just think about what's happening. You know, your body needs rest. And Mm. that's why we're told not to go in the kitchen and not to cook because we want to rest. Whereas, Mm -hmm. obviously, that's, that can be taken in both ways. And I completely understand that. And I used to think the same thing, you know, how Mm. dare you tell me what I can and can't do. But actually, yeah, yeah, like how beautiful, you know, every, every month, we get a chance to kind of let go of everything you know our body is shedding so let's do the same with our thoughts with our actions with all these things that no longer serve us let's shed them all Mm -hmm. and let's almost like be born again you know be Mm -hmm. be that little bit closer to ourselves to that to that atma to that sense of balance to that divinity within you whatever you want to call it you know and I in this book I'm reading it actually said that you know, back in the day in India and still in some villages in India, when a girl comes on their, like starts her period for the first time, they have a massive celebration, like a, oh. literally like a wedding. And I, I was, wow. that's exactly my reaction. I was really surprised. <laughs> and I just thought, how beautiful, because it's a huge thing mm. when that happens, but actually like it's so shunned. And, mm. you know, so many people don't want to talk about it. And I'm sure some people listening to this podcast right now are probably feeling uncomfortable how, you know, openly we're talking about it. But half of the population experienced this, yet we just don't talk about it. You know, I went to an all-girls school and we didn't even really talk about it very openly, even though everyone there was going through the same thing. (laughs) It's Um, funny, isn't it? It's now filled with, even in in this Western world, that growing up in this Western where, where, you know, we are supposed to be open-minded and progressive, it's still filled with so much shame mm. and there's a stigma still attached to it. I remember um, I, w- I went to a mixed school, but, you know, if you needed to go to the bathroom and 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 change your sanitary towel, you would hide it as if you were yeah. trying to smuggle, like, contraband out of class. It was like, shove it up your, uh, your sleeve or put it in your back pocket and hope that no one heard you, you know, unraveling that wrapper in the bathroom even there was a female um space that you know everyone understood what it was but there was so much and I think still there is still so much stigma attached to it um and I don't think this is exclusive to the South Asian culture I think this is a lots of cultures that can relate to this um lots of people yeah it's um it's a strange thing and that makes me very happy to hear that it's celebrated and that reminds me very much of um I know in South America there's some cultures that celebrate you know womanhood and I don't think it's just them I think it's a lot of cultures worldwide where you know a a celebration is done to to celebrate um girls moving into that next phase of their lives which is you know where we should be at really we shouldn't be trying to to hide it at all um 
Yeah. So sorry. You. Um, so this book as well. Could you give us the the name of this book as well? That would be helpful. Um, so that anyone who's listening is interested that they can um, also share. So you don't. We can always link it in the in the description afterwards. If if you don't have it at hand, don't worry. Yeah. Me. No. It's called. So it's called Ritu Vidya. So it's R T U, and then yeah. V I D Y A by Sinul Joseph. Um, so. It's honestly amazing. I'm not, I've only read about a quarter of it. Um, but she's also done a talk. Um, well, she's done lots of talks. If you watch her TED talk, you know, she's mm. she's effectively been around India and spoke to women from all different parts of India, you know, especially in the villages where they still practice much of these ancient practices and learn, mm. really learn why um, a lot of stuff yeah. happens, um, which I think is so empowering. If you know why you're doing something, you're more willing to do it. Whereas when you don't, you know, of course, you're not, you're not going to want to do it. Um, so yeah, I'd highly recommend the book um, to everyone. Nice. Thanks, Jyoti. Thanks for, for that recommendation there. Um, so, you know, we've, we've touched upon quite a lot today. Once again, we've, the time is just flying by um, and we've talked quite intensely about you know that female shakti and how that's um been for us growing up as well you know schooling and stuff like that and and it's great to know that more and more people are learning more about themselves and you know working with their cultures and working with the ancient practices rather than against them and and hopefully that that continues and um you know thanks Jyoti for all of your knowledge it's always wonderful to learn from you. I'm always, you know, after our, our chats, I'm like, wow, okay, I'm going to go read this. And I learn more and more about um, the different aspects of, of life. So thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. Um, yeah, that's it. Any final thoughts or remarks that you wanted to give? I'm just, I know that we're, we're constantly talking about, there's probably some, like another 10 topics we could sh- share our thoughts on. Um, but yeah, is there anything that you want to circle back on or? Um, I think just to say that, you know, that female Shakti, that, um, that power does live within, within all of us. Um, so, you know, honor that and tap into it. It's, it's there, like we just need to uncover it. It's not that it's lost. It's just that there's many layers of conditioning on it. So we just need to, you know, slowly peel them back, which is something that yoga can help with. Um, and if anyone does want to learn more, then, I've done a talk on cyclical living, kind of how to live with the cycles of the moon, of your periods, of nature, um, which will be, which is in my Instagram bio, um, which I'm sure will be linked. And thank you so much for having me again. It's been so, so lovely um, to speak to you guys. I speak to you, thank sorry, you. and Karan, yeah, who no. I know is there. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's producing today. I think those, uh, the topics were, were not of his expertise. So he's listening patiently <laughs> and, and learning. He's giving a thumbs up. <laughs> um, thanks again, Jyoti. We are in um, awe of your knowledge. We are grateful for this connection. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing all of this with our listeners. Um, for anyone who um, wants to learn more, Jyoti is on social media. We'll link all of this below. Um, thanks, Jyoti, for your time. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you all for listening to Being Brown. 
As always, you can find us on Instagram at Being Brown Podcast and on Facebook at Being Brown. You can find references to anything we've discussed in the description of the episode, and you can also listen to the previous episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.